How's everyone doing? Good, good. Before we get into the message this morning, we just have one more uh, announcement for you. Uh, believe it or not, it's the last Sunday of October, and next Sunday is November 4th. And this is when we have our annual congregational meeting, which we've been calling the last couple of years Influencers Night at 4 o'clock. Um, and if you call Shepherd's Gate home, you're invested in this congregation. It's really, really important that you be here, okay? Um, you might be like, everything's going great. We trust you guys. We love that. But we really want you to be here to influence, to, get, to be able to get your feedback. Because uh, there's a lot of things that are going to be going on at the meeting. Number one, we have two council members that need to be ratified, one being the president of the council. Uh, number two, we've completely changed how we're going to present the church financial records to you. And so if you don't come and you get the sheet, you're going to say, I've never seen it like this before because we've never done it like this before. Um, number three, uh, we actually want to tell you about some property in the back of our church that uh, somebody wants to buy, and so we can't buy and sell property without the congregation. Uh, so we want to make sure that you're just aware of everything that is going on. And then lastly, we actually have two constitutional amendments that are being proposed, which again, we can't change the constitution without the congregation. So it'll be a 10-minute meeting, right? A lot of stuff, a lot of stuff I know, but a lot of really good stuff that we've been preparing for this meeting, and I just really want you to be there 4 o'clock, uh, and it's November 4th, and then we're going to go in the gymnasium afterwards, and we're going to have a whole slew of desserts. You get four desserts, okay? November 4th, 4 o'clock, four desserts. Make sure you're here for that. And then also here, just so you know, next weekend is actually daylight savings time, all right? So you're going to gain an hour. So will you give your pastor your hour? Will you do that for me? And all God's people said? So you're all going to be here. All right, good. Uh, so just want to make sure you're aware of that. Well, today we're continuing a series of messages that we've been on uh, since the beginning of October called Nehemiah. And if this is your first time here, thank you so much for being here, especially if you're a guest. Maybe you've been coming the last few weeks. In fact, right after the service through those doors, uh, I'll be there. I'd love to shake your hand and meet you, so make sure you come on up. We have coffee and cookies afterwards for free as well. Uh, but we've been going through the book of Nehemiah and also the people that are watching online, whether you're live streaming or you're watching on Facebook Live, just thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, but we've been going through the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And uh, week one, what we learned is that Nehemiah, after being gone for 140 years, his family is now being restored back to Judea and Jerusalem. And so the people of God, they sinned and they sinned and they sinned. And God said, I've had enough of it. And so he allowed them to be taken over by the Babylonians. They were put into exile. And now it's 140 years later, and God puts it on Nehemiah's heart to return to his homeland, and he actually gives Nehemiah a vision. And then in week two, we looked at chapter three, where everyone gets involved in building the wall. This is such a cool story, because these weren't professional bricklayers. Uh, some of the people were perfumers, right? So like the Mary Kay people of the day, right? <laughs> some of them were like carpenters. Some of them did, uh, you know, they were city officials. Even the priests, the religious leaders, everybody was out there doing their part and laying bricks to build this thing. And so if you remember in week two, we just looked at chapter three, which was kind of like reading from a phone book. You guys remember that? I mean, it was just a whole list of names. Well, in chapters 4 to 6, three chapters, which Pastor John preached on last week, what we learned is they got opposition from both outside and from within. Because no matter what we face in life, there's always negativity, right? There's always an enemy. There's always somebody trying to tear us down. And, and even though they had opposition from outside and even they were quarreling amongst themselves, they completed the wall in how many days? Which is kind of incredible, isn't it? I thought maybe if we had a building project, what if we just used the people of Shepherd's Gate to build the addition of the church? Wouldn't that be cool? 
No one ever goes for that idea, right? <laughs> but so 52 days, all these people, they put the wall together, and so today we're going to be looking at chapters 7 and 8. Now, if you were here last week, you might remember Pastor John mentioning that it seems a little unfair that he's done two chapters. I did one, and then he did three. Do you guys remember him saying that? Um, I just have to set the record straight for you. Um, What we do here at Shepherd's Gate is we assign different preachers to different sermon series, and they write the sermon summaries. And John was actually assigned to Nehemiah. So this whole flow is all his fault. He's the one that gave me (laughs) chapter 3 and chapter 7 and 8. But what's interesting is chapter 3 and chapter 7 are almost the same exact thing. They're phone books. We're reading through names. So this man apparently thought that I could handle the list of names and be able to explain that. And we get it. We know the sermon series is tough. We know that we're taking a deeper dive than we normally do. And even as you're reading it, which we're really encouraging you to read before you come each and every Sunday, and you're all doing that, amen? All right, good, that makes me feel good. You're all reading it beforehand, that that's not gonna shy us away from digging into God's word and seeing how he would speak to our lives. So I'd invite you to grab one of the chair Bibles that are in front of you. Uh, If you're in the front row, they're underneath. You have your own Bible, you have a Bible app on your phone. We're gonna look at Nehemiah chapter seven, found on page 402, and we're gonna see what God wouldn't speak to our hearts and our lives today. And you're going to want to keep it open uh, for pretty much the whole message because we're going to go through both 7 and 8. So Nehemiah chapter 7, page 402, beginning in verse 1, it says this, Now when the wall had been built, right, 52 days it's built, I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed. I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more uh, faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. I want you to stop right there. The reason he did this, because they had just built this thing, right? And he didn't want anybody attacking them. And so he only wanted the gates open during the daylight so someone couldn't come at night and ruin everything that they had just built. That's why that's in there. And it says, and while they are still standing guard, Let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard post and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses has been built. And so to get this picture, to get this idea, imagine a contractor that's, com- that's put up a bunch of homes in a subdivision, right? And so he has all these houses, and now he's got to find people to buy these houses. And so basically, Nehemiah, he's built the wall, and now he's got to figure out how to populate the inside of Jerusalem to restore this city, to get people to move back in and to put some of the houses back together and even to build new homes. And then I want you to see what happens next, Right? As we look at what happens next, it says, where am I, verse 5? Then my God put it on my heart, and I love this, that God puts it on Nehemiah's heart, the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at first that I found written in it. And so what he's doing is he's going and he's getting the record of the people that had actually been um, exiled, right? And so they still had a record of all the people that had been moved over to Babylon. And there was also a record of the people that had made their way back. You see, not everyone actually came back. Only some people came back. And so he's trying to keep track of all of these different people. They returned to Jerusalem and Judea, each to his own town. And they came with 
all of these incredible leaders. See all these guys here, right? And then I want you to look, just take your finger now, the number of men of the people of Israel, and starting in verse 8, I just want you to scan with your finger from verse 8 all the way, next column, all the way, thank you, John Crawl, to verse 72. All right, and because you guys have already read this before you got here this morning, I don't have to attempt to read it, right? So what is this teaching us? Why in the world do we have list of names and possessions and all of this stuff, and how does this apply to our lives? And honestly, this should actually be encouraging to us this morning, that we see that people mattered so much to God that he would have Nehemiah go through the painstaking process of recording each and every detail, counting each and every head to make sure he had it exactly right. And even though sometimes it's hard for us to read through this stuff, it is an, an opportunity for us to take comfort in knowing that God actually knows our names, that he's actually numbered us, that as we are become part of the body of Christ, that he cares so much about us, that he actually writes our name in what's called the Lamb's Book of Life, that when we leave this earth, it's not over. We get to go to heaven. We get to see Jesus because he takes record of who we are and his love for us. So it's kind of the first thing that you can gather as you read through something that's so difficult at first and you look through all these names. Do you realize that God has actually chosen you? That God has brought faith to your heart and to your life? That you are a corpse, you were a dead corpse before God came and gave you faith, whether that was in the waters of baptism or whether that was through the preaching of God's word that he awoke in faith in your heart and your life and you received this incredible gift. You are a redeemed child of God. God died for you. He rose from the dead for you and he has a purpose and a plan for you. So don't ever think that you don't matter. Don't ever think that you don't count. And when you look at a genealogy, remember, you matter to God. He loves you so very much. And this chapter ends with this, Nehemiah 7, verse 73. How often do you get to say verse 73, right? So the priests, the Levites, which were the ones who assisted the priests, the gatekeepers, the security team, the singers, because you never want to leave the worship team out, right? Some of the people, because they all didn't come back, the temple servants, you need those, right? And all Israel lived in their towns, and when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. And those of you that are leaders, those of you that you love to influence people, you gotta imagine how exciting this must have been for Nehemiah to watch not only the physical walls being built, but now the spiritual aspect of actually moving people, which my guess was a lot harder than building the wall, right? Because people don't like change. People don't want to have to leave the comforts of their hometown. Imagine they were exiled for 140 years and these people are actually moving back to Judea. And you might be wondering, well, how come some people stayed and some people left? And we get a little bit of a glimpse of this when we look at the previous book in the Bible, Ezra. And this is what it says actually in Ezra. Then rose up the heads of the father's house of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. Again, just as you were called and chosen. These people were called and chosen by God. The Holy Spirit stirred something in them and they obeyed. They responded to the call of God on their life. And see, what's interesting, those of you that want extra credit, go back and read the whole book of Ezra. Because Ezra and Nehemiah were actually contemporaries. They lived at the same time and they worked together at the same time and you're gonna see that in a moment as we go into chapter eight. 
And what's so incredible is that actually uh, in, in the earliest manuscripts, Ezra and Nehemiah were actually one book in the Bible, and then they separated them. And so you can glean even more about the story of these people by reading the book of Ezra. And even this seventh month that you see in Scripture here, as John shared last week, it's so interesting how it coincides even what's going on with us today. This was their calendar. This was their religious calendar. And the seventh month for them was very significant in Scripture, just like the seventh day is very significant throughout the Bible. And the seventh month was actually the time between October and November. Isn't that wild? And we didn't even plan that when we planned the sermon series. And so they're going through this time period together. And so as we can see, as we ended uh, the chapter with verse, can you go, there you go. Um, chapter 7 serves as a pivot in the book of Nehemiah. Chapters 1 and 6 talk all about the restoration of the wall, where 8 and 13 tell about the restoration of the people. And so for the rest of the sermon series, we're going to look at how God deals with the hearts and the minds of his people. And so 7 really is that midway point that kind of pivots us in that direction. And so now we're going to go into chapter 8. Thank you, John Crawl, for giving me two chapters this week. Otherwise, my sermon would be done, and that would be boring, right? So here, I want you to entertain me. This is going to sound weird at first, but I want you to grab your Bibles, grab your smartphones, and I want you to stand, okay, as we read chapter 8. If you're able to, if you can't stand, I totally understand, but if you're able to, grab your Bibles, your smartphones, if you're not checking your email and you're looking at the Bible app, and let's look at verse 1 together. And all the people gathered as one man. You see that community, that sense of community that was there? Into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. And if you don't know what that is, that's the Pentateuch or the Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. On the first day of the seventh month, again, this day is so significant for them, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate. Ready for this? From what? Say it with me. Early morning until midday. I want you to think about that. We're going to go back to that. In the presence of the men and women and all who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood all these incredible leaders <laughs> on his left. Verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. Ready? He opens this book because they didn't have copies, right? Ezra's the only one that's got the copy in front of all of these people. And as he opened it, what? Say it with me. All the people stood. Get it? <laughs> Get why you're standing right now? Now, I want you to think about what you just read. Here they are these people that have been gone from their homeland for 140 years, whose parents and grandparents had disobeyed God, and they're finally coming back. And they are the ones, I love this, they are the ones crying out to the priests, to the religious leaders, open God's word, speak God's word into our life, tell us what we are to do. And he opens this book in the middle of the day with the sun shining down on him, and he begins to read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And you ready for this? Because you read it from midday, right? They did this for six days hours. Six hours. How many of you, you have five and a half hours left to give me today? <laughs> How many of you want to just keep doing this for another five and a half hours? 
I want you to get the significance of this, as painful as this is, as much as you probably want to sit down right now. Think about this. They were so hungry for the word of God. They were so hungry to have the word of God transform and change their lives that they were hanging on Ezra's every single word. And I couldn't help this week but wonder, are we hungry for the word of God? When we gather in here on Sunday mornings and we open our Bibles, which is the practice here at Shepherd's Gate each and every week, are we hungry to learn what God has for us? To let the law of God speak into our hearts and to speak into our minds and to bring us together as his gathered people to do more than we could ever think or imagine because his power resides in these words, his spoken word of God. You can be seated at this time. Absolutely incredible what they went through. And there's so many things that we could learn from chapter 8 in Nehemiah. First one is this, is that God's word is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces our hearts. And it challenges us to live the life that God has called us to live I mean, he reads it. He's facing the square. They even build him a platform. Isn't that interesting, right? So that people would hear the word of God preached. Let me ask you this morning. How's your personal time with the Lord going? Are you spending time in God's word? Are you allowing God to speak into your life each and every day? This, there's so much power. There's so much uh, in here for you. And it's not that you have to do this. It's not some legalistic thing where you gotta you know, read your Bible. Right? You get to read your Bible. Right? You get to have God speak into your life each and every day. If you have a Bible app on your phone, you can set it for alerts. It'll send you a scripture. You can go on websites and they'll send you an email every day that you would be in God's word, that you allow him to speak into your hearts and your life. How's your church attendance? Are you making sure that you're here every week as we're the gathered assembly of God's people, as we open his word, as we allow God to speak into our hearts and our lives? What about when it comes to Bible studies and small groups? You know we have more Bible studies being offered this fall than we've had in a very, very long time. And maybe God is compelling you and stirring something within you and you're hungry for more. You need more of God. Look at the Bible studies that are being offered. I'm so excited about what Galen's gonna bring to the team and even next year and the opportunity, just like we live stream our services, to possibly live stream even some of our Bible classes here at Shepherd's Gate. What about being in a small group where you're around other Christians and you're able to have those conversations, you're able to dig into God's word and you're able to say, well, this is how this impacted me and this is how this impacted me and together we go on this journey together. You see, as we read God's word, as we allow it to speak into our hearts and our lives, that's what builds up the walls. That's what prevents the devil from being able to throw his arrows at us and to trip us up because we're protected by God and we're protected by his word that's buried deep in our hearts, right? How do you not want to sin against God by having the word of God buried deep in your heart and your life? And not only is there this public reading of God's word, I love what it says next. It says, we're actually hear God's word taught and explained. Remember all those incredible people that I didn't mention by name because uh, I don't know how to say their names? We're just gonna say they, right? They helped the people to understand the law. Think about this. While the people remained in their places, you know what that means? They were still standing. They read from the book, from the law, clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. 
And so here's Ezra. He's reading the Bible. He has all this team of people on one side. and his left. He has all this team of people over here on the right. And he reads a portion of scripture. And then they go out and they explain what it actually means. We are so blessed to have a church that has so many people that are willing to step up to the plate and to lead our Bible classes to lead our small groups, who spend time during the week, who lead our kids' ministry and lead our youth ministry, lead our care classes, all these incredible people that give of their time and their energy. What are they doing? They're going to the word of God and they're explaining it in a way that makes sense and impacts our lives today. And if you're one of those people, thank you so much for your dedication to this church for your continued faithfulness. And if you're getting restless and you're, you're wondering if you're even making a difference, no, if you're opening God's word and you're speaking God's word into people's lives, you are making a difference because God's word does not return void. What you are doing is so important. It is so vital to the mission that God has for us as a church. Who is it that you're allowing to speak into your heart, into your life? Man, isn't it easy to get so distracted by the things of this world? I mean, we got a million news channels, right? It's so easy to spend more time listening to the news, which is just the same thing over and over again, than it is to spend time in God's word. It's so easy to scroll through yet another social media platform than to spend time in God's word, allowing God to feed us from his word. Because here's what happened in this time. This is what's really cool about chapter 8 as you go through chapter 8. Not only did, did he set up people to, to allow them to teach and to help them explain God's word, but the people actually responded. Imagine that. They responded to God's word. So here they are. They're preaching it and they're explaining it to the people and they're out in the, in the sun for six hours and the people are actually responding to the word of God. If you look at chapter, or you look at verse 9, it actually says the people began to weep. And why are they weeping? Because the law of God was breaking their hearts and the Holy Spirit was bringing to mind the sins that they had committed. And I think it wasn't just their sins, but the sins of their fathers and their forefathers. And they realized the error of their ways and they didn't want to live like that anymore. And so there's only one response, right? To be humble and to be broken and to say, God, we need you. We are dependent upon you. We can't do this without you. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. God, we need your mercy and your grace. And what's so interesting is the people are weeping. It's the religious leaders and the Levites who are there to help the, the religious leaders, right? The, what they do is they say, stop weeping. Move your chin up. Look straight ahead because your grieving is going to turn to joy. They actually say these words, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Any of you grew up in a church where you sang this song? The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord. Anybody? Yeah. Just raise your hands. 8.30, everybody did. All right, somebody. You ever wonder where that song came from? Ta-da! I didn't even know that until this week. That song is stuck in my heart. Remember? He gives me living water and I... All right, so some of you do know that song. Um, but think about this. This is what God does is he takes his law, right? And he penetrates our hearts and he shows us there's a way. And then so quickly, immediately, next verse over, he brings us his grace and his mercy. He rescues us with the gospel. What an incredible God we have. It's, too, it's almost too much to bear, honestly. Hey, you know what? I, you're right. I screwed up. I made all these mistakes. I committed all these sins. Hey, guess what? Lift your chin up. And here, let me replace all of that condemnation with my joy and my peace and my gospel. Man, can we get excited about that in the church? 
That's the hope that we have. That's the hope that we get to share with the unbelieving world. And look at how they continue to respond. As joy fills their heart, as they realize what God has done for them, then they begin to give generously. They sent portions to anyone who had nothing. It's kind of interesting, right? Every week, not a big surprise, we take an offering here at Shepherd's Gate. Right, what is that? That's part of our act of worship, that we give back a portion of what God has blessed us with. It all belongs to God, but he allows us to give a portion of it back to him. We respond to him in our giving. And the fact that giving's been around for thousands of years, God's idea, right? Now, mind, this is something that's been instilled in, in God's people for the beginning of time, that we wouldn't hold on to what we have, but that we would realize everything we have is from the Lord and that we would bless others with it. And then what does it say next? Verses 13 and 17, as they're hearing God's word preached, they get to the portion of the Pentateuch where they start talking about the feasts that they're supposed to celebrate. So back then they allow all these feasts, which I think is really cool because it forced them to come together and to celebrate. And so they get to this feast and they all start scratching their heads and they realize, wow, we haven't been celebrating this feast. And so they say, hey, wait a second, maybe we should start celebrating this feast again. This is what God wanted us to do. And so they begin to make preparations, and he tells them to eat the fat and to drink the sweet wine, and let's throw a party. Let's celebrate. Isn't that awesome? Not only do you see God's grace and mercy, he tells them to have a party. And he does that in his word. In fact, if you read the Old Testament over and over and over again with God's people, what he does when he brings them out of a hardship, he actually commands them to stop and to rest. This month on this day was very significant to them because this happened over and over again in the Old Testament. God would say on this month, on this day, you are going to stop and you are going to rest and you are going to party. Anybody want to party? Right? That's why we have church picnics, right? That's why we celebrate our birthday. We get to party with them. They're doing the same thing. We're not any different than them. Honestly, we just live at a different time and age. In fact, when they were reading these words, the, the words that they were reading from the Pentateuch was already a thousand years old at this time. And what does this show you? That God's word still has the power to transform lives. It's the power and the gospel of Jesus Christ that's from the beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, that can transform your heart and, and my heart. We don't need other things. I don't know why everyone always wants to add other things to the Bible. You have the Bible. You have the source of truth. And all of us have it so readily available. In fact, if you don't have a Bible or you need a Bible, grab one of the Bibles that's in the chair in front of you and take it home with you today. We'll buy more, okay? Because honestly, that's the best gift that we could ever give anyone. And allow God to speak into your hearts and your lives. And we're going to be talking more about this in the future. But the last thing that they do is they come together in this solemn assembly and they worship. They worship together. And isn't it incredible, thousands of years later, God's people, God's chosen people, still gather to worship and to pray and to sing and to read words that have been written so long ago about real people in real places that go through the same things that you and I go through today. God is so gracious and so merciful to each and every one of us. And we're going to be looking more at that next week. But here's our challenge for you this morning. Where does your faith need renewal? If you think about it, where is it that your faith needs to be renewed? Have you allowed so many other things to get in the way of your relationship with God and 
Maybe, again, you need to cut some things. Maybe the last month when we were talking about undoing things, you forgot to undo something, and you still need to undo something so that your faith can be renewed. Maybe you need to get into a Bible study, or you need to commit to being in church every week, or you need to be in a small group. You need to do something. You need to invite somebody else in, because oftentimes when we try to do things on our own, it's when we fail, when we have an accountability partner, someone to come along and to help us and to ask us how we're doing and ask us how we're doing in our Bible reading that God would use that brother or sister in Christ to walk alongside of us? What's the restorative work God wants to do in your life? That's kind of been our theme throughout this sermon series, right? What are the things that he wants to rebuild in your heart, in your life? The last challenge this morning is this. Who are you allowing to speak into your life? So many messages, so many distractions, so many things from the world. But who is it? Is it God's word? Or is it something else? And what does that look like for you as we continue this sermon series, as you go through this week, as you wake up tomorrow morning, what does that look like for you? How can God begin to do a new work in your heart, in your life today? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that even in Scripture, we can see how we're connected to people that lived so long ago. That out of your people and the rebuilding of Jerusalem would come Jesus, our Savior. And that, God, our spiritual genealogy is far superior than our natural human genealogy here on earth. That we are your people, called by your name, chosen by you, that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. God, may we be humbled once again this morning by that reality. That each and every day that we have here on earth is a blessing from you. God, help us not to take life for granted. Help us to realize what an incredible gift it is. And that God, each and every day, your mercies are new every morning and each and every day we can face because you're continuing to work in our hearts and our lives. And so God, once again this morning, we humble ourselves before you. We confess the sins that we keep in our hearts. We ask you to move in a powerful way. We thank you for the joy and the peace that you give us that we don't even deserve, but you give it to us anyways. And even the opportunity to come together as your people to celebrate your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. So God, help us to live according to your word. That God, we may be the sons and daughters that you have asked us to be with our time here on earth. We love you and we thank you. It's in your son's most holy and most precious name that we pray. Amen. Will you stand this morning? Receive the blessing of our Lord this morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. We're going to sing this song as we close. And it's a song that we sang at the beginning of the year. It's a powerful song, a reminder that we are truly the body of Christ. So let's sing this song as a response to our God.